Um, I want to talk this morning about the obligation of unity, the obligation of unity. Um, during the Second World War in France, some soldiers carried the body of their friend and comrade to a nearby cemetery so he could be properly buried. However, they were stopped by the local priest who said, sorry boys, you cannot bury your friend here unless he is a Catholic. Well, he wasn't a Catholic. So these soldiers were rather hurt and discouraged, but they were not gonna give up and they decided to have their own burial service. So they dug a grave just outside of the cemetery and um, buried their friend. The next morning, they came back just to pay their last respects before they were moving on, and they couldn't find their friend's grave anywhere. They searched for an hour and could not find it. So eventually they found the old priest and asked if he could help. And the priest explained, he said, the first part of last night, I laid awake feeling very sorry for what I had told you. The second part of the night, I spent moving the fence so that your friend would be inside the cemetery. Unity comes when we move the fences that have been erected between us. You will remember the words that Jesus said when he said, I am giving you a new commandment, love each other, full stop. Love each other, he said. Then he goes on to explain it. He said, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So let's just take a minute or two to have a big conversation. How does Jesus love us today? Answers, please. Unmute yourself. How does Jesus love us? Because he says, love one another as I have loved you. How do you experience the love of Jesus today? He listens to us. Yep. Unconditional. Yes. Let's just think practically. How do you experience that love? I can talk about the ways in which Janice practically loves me. So... How does Jesus love us in practical terms? Emma says he listened to us. What else? Prayers answered. Answered prayers, yeah. Ooh. And also through each other. Through each other, yeah. Encouraging. Oh, my gosh. How does he encourage you, Phil? Um, well, when you read the word, when you yeah. read, his, read his word and pray to him, you know, yeah. you just know that he's there and encouraging you. Yeah, yeah. aware of his presence. And also, oh, through, and also through one another. Through each other, yes. God provides for us, blesses us, protects us. Provision. Helps yeah. us, guides us. That's yeah. how he shows his love for us. Yes. Gives us the Holy Spirit. Gives us the Holy Spirit, yes. Answers prayer. Answers prayer, yeah. 
Good. It's, it's starting to come now. You struggled a bit at first, didn't you, to kind of think what it really means in a practical sense. But he does love us. And then the Apostle Paul goes on in Ephesians to say, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now, we just had read to us by Gemma from the opening chapter of the book of Joshua. This is where Joshua is commissioned to lead the people of Israel into their long-awaited promised land, the land of Canaan. But in those few verses, we read of two and a half tribes, the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They had found an ideal living place on the east side of the River Jordan, which literally meant they didn't have to cross over into the Promised Land. They found lush pasture lands, ideal places to build habitations for themselves and their families, and so they thought this will suit us perfectly well. In other words, they were not going to cross over the River Jordan with the rest of the tribes of Israel. Now, just as an aside, whenever you read of the River Jordan in the Bible, it always speaks of commitment. If you think of when Elijah was following Elisha, before Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot, Elijah kept turning, telling him to turn back, turn back. And when he got to the River Jordan, he said, look, why don't you leave me here? I just need to go on on my own. But Elisha said, no, I am coming with you. And Elijah then smote the river with his cloak and the waters parted and they passed together. It's a symbol of commitment. Elisha being committed to Elijah right until the moment he was taken to heaven. You will know of that Syrian uh, commander, Naaman, who was riddled with leprosy. And he came to uh, Elisha to be healed of his leprosy. And Elisha says, go wash in the River Jordan. He didn't want to do that. He thought it was a smelly, mucky, horrible river. But in the end, he bathed in the River Jordan. He committed himself to it and he was healed. And then, of course, in the New Testament, John the Baptist called people. He said, if you're going to repent of your sin and truly turn to God, then you need to be baptized. And he baptized them in the River Jordan. So throughout the scripture, whenever the River Jordan is mentioned, you will find it is always symbolic of making some form of commitment to following the Lord. And commitment has always been at the heart of Christianity because Jesus says to us, if you're gonna follow me, you take up a cross and follow me. We live in a world today where individualism reigns supreme. Individualism sells us the message that life is about you, it's about what you want. It's how you wish to live your life. It's how you wish to run your life. And people often talk about living your truth. Have you heard that phrase? Or achieving your dreams, your goals, or doing you. And that all stems out of the individualistic attitude and ideology, which is part and parcel of our culture today. The book that I've mentioned before, Faith for Exiles, it simply says the new moral code says that the individual is the center of the moral universe. 
You see, individualism's ultimate goal is the worship of self. Of course, Christianity is very different. Christianity is all about the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we orientate our lives by following him, by enjoying a relationship with him, by living out the truth of the Bible, knowing the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, living in fellowship with one another by being part of a local church. Being a Christian is completely counterculture to the individualistic attitude that so often pervades in our society today. Now, these two and a half tribes um, that came to Joshua, they had their own agenda. They said, we found the patch of land we want, that will suit us perfectly well. But they needed to die to their own agenda for the greater good of the whole community. So they promised Joshua three things, and Emma read it to us. In verse 16 and 17, they said, we will do whatever you command us, we will go wherever you send us, and we will obey you as we obeyed Moses. Three things there, doing, going, and obeying. Now, for us, meeting on Zoom is, it doesn't require much, does it? You can meet in the comfort of your own home. There's no travel involved. Um, you can even just put on audio, as some of you are doing right now. If you're not dressed, if you're still in your pajamas, if you've still got your curlers in your hair, you don't have to be visible. You can just put on audio. You could be off watching the television. You could be doing 101 other things, but pretending that you're still here listening to this amazing sermon that I'm preaching, but you could be somewhere else in your home. It is all so comfortable. It is all so easy. It is so laid back. There is very, very low cost in terms of commitment and unity. As we come out of lockdown, the cost of our unity and our commitment will increase. So are you prepared to lay down your personal agendas for the increase of God's kingdom in us and through us? You see, Moses had settled this matter with these two and a half tribes quite some time before. And if you care to read Numbers chapter 32, you will look at the whole conversation that these two and a half tribes had with Moses over the piece of land that they wanted outside of the promised land. They eventually make an agreement with Moses. And here in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is reminding them of the agreement that they made with Moses and the response of these two and a half tribes is simply this. We will do what we told Moses we would do. We will go where we told Moses we will go and we will obey you as we obeyed Moses. So as we think of the fact that we're coming out of lockdown and in not too distant future we will start to physically meet again the days of zoom on a sunday morning will be over although i'm sure we'll still use zoom in other ways uh that's a thrill to allison yes um but when, when, as we think about coming out of this lockdown um 
let's just learn a few lessons from the experience of these two and a half tribes and what they committed to. First of all, what were they to do? Well, Joshua 1 verse 14 tells us, you must lead the other tribes across the Jordan. Now, for us as a church, we may have a Jordan ahead of us. We don't know. There may be some big calls on commitment before us. But they, these two and a half tribes, Joshua said, you've got to lead the rest of the tribes. Every single one of us carries a leadership responsibility by our example. We have influence by our actions, by our words, and by our behavior. Your influence matters. So some of the things that Emma got us to say this morning was such a blessing, such an encouragement. We could have spent the whole morning speaking words of encouragement and blessing to one another. That is the power of the influence that comes, particularly through words, but also through actions. Every one of us has influence, but we need to use it wisely. And so what these two and a half tribes were to do was firstly, they were not to be a discouragement. If you look in Numbers 32 and verse seven, Moses says, do not discourage your fellow brothers and sisters. You see, discouragement robs us of courage. If they were going to possess the land, then everybody needed to be filled with courage for the battles that were ahead. The Bible tells us that we have to encourage one another daily. And that was just a brilliant example that Emma used this morning of verbally bringing encouragement to each other. We all need that. The whole point of our encouragement app, believe it or not, is to encourage us. Now, sometimes there are things put on that app that I don't think fit in with encouragement. But we call it an encouragement app because it's there to encourage one another. And so we want to put words and, and, and messages on the encouragement app that will build up, that will strengthen, because all of us need to be encouraged on a daily basis. I can't live from one Sunday to the next, struggling through the week, desperately waiting till I get to the next Sunday for my next biblical Christian spiritual fix. But that's how some people live their lives. You know, if I can make it to next Sunday, then I can get a decent sermon. I can sing some great songs. I can get a bit of prayer and then I'll go through the rest of the week. That is not how we are to live. And that is not how we are to be as a community. We are to encourage one another daily. So Emma, Emma has already encouraged us. If you've got something that you wanted to say to somebody this morning and you didn't get a chance to do it, send them a text in the week. Send a message to one another because that is so important. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 in the Message Bible, speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. Note that. We're together in this. This means that no one is left out. No one is left behind. He says, I know you're already doing this, so just keep on doing it. So we've got to make sure as we go forward that in no way are we discouragement. And that actually means showing up. They say on average, 
that most Christians attend church twice in the month. I think that's bad. Unless there is some legitimate reason, we need to be showing up every time we have the opportunity to meet, because simply by being there, it's an encouragement. As I look this morning, I see your wonderful faces and I'm encouraged. But I also see people who aren't here and I'm discouraged. And unless I hear that there's some legitimate reason why they're not able to be with us this morning, then I don't know where they are. And that will cause me concern. You see, we're in this together. That's what the Bible says. And by being in it together, we stand together. We, we go forward together. We encourage one another together. And that was what Joshua was saying to these two and a half tribes. You've found the patch of land that you want, but guys, we're in this together. We will possess the promised land together, not just leaving it to your brothers and sisters because you've found where you want to be. So we must make sure that we're an encouragement. What they had to do was not to be a discouragement. Secondly, they were not to repeat history. In chapter 32 of Numbers, verse 14, Moses said to them, if you do not go into the promised land, you will do exactly the same thing that your forefathers did when we came out of the land of Egypt. They discouraged their brothers and sisters. Whatever the past has been for level 10 church, we cannot live in the past. And some of you will remember painful times in the history of level 10. Some of you can think back to times where you felt hurt. Some of you can think back to times where you thought, is it worth staying in this church any longer? I've got news for you. Every church has that kind of a history. But we must make sure we do not repeat history. And that's what Moses said to these two and a half tribes. Do not dare repeat the history of your forefathers. Whatever the past has been, we cannot live there. Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. We cannot let our history define our destiny. Let me say that again. We cannot let our history define our destiny. That applies to us personally. Some of you grew up in environments where you were hurt as children. And if we let those childhood hurts dominate our adult lives, we live with history. And many people need counseling. Many people need ministry. Many people need uh, specialist help so that they don't live with the hurts of their upbringing. We all understand that. We all go through experiences at times that hurt us, that damage us. But if we allow it to live in our present, it will determine our future. So we have to make sure that we do not allow a repeat of history. Whatever history Level 10 Church has had, we leave it in the past because God has got a great future and a great destiny for us. So let's all be great examples as church and be examples of a church that is exciting, that is vibrant, that is effectively building the kingdom of God because Maranatha Jesus is coming. And if I told you Jesus is coming next Thursday, you would live very different lives the next four or five days. Yeah? yeah. That's how they lived in the New Testament. 
They believed that Jesus was coming back anytime. Hey guys, we better be ready. We better be prepared. We don't know when he's coming. We get lulled into a kind of complacency, but we wanna be a church that is living in the power of the spirit, that is vibrant, that is exciting, and that is embracing the presence and power of God because we believe that Jesus is coming soon. So that was what they were to do. Second thing, what were they, or where were they to go? Joshua 1 verse 15 says, you are to go and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Whenever Jesus called people to follow him, he then invariably told them to go. Often when he healed people, he would say, go and tell the good things the Lord has done for you. There was a man who was filled with demons and uh, the demons said our name is Legion because there's many of us. And when Jesus delivered him, it was an absolute miracle. And the man wanted to go with Jesus and follow him. And Jesus said, no, you go off and tell others what the Lord has done for you. You see, being a follower of Jesus means that we are commissioned to go and share his love with the world. These two and a half tribes, they understood their commission. Let me tell you what it was. Their commission, firstly, was to go into battle. They said in Numbers 32, verse 17, we would arm ourselves and lead our fellow Israelites into battle. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, endure suffering with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Level 10 church will never grow without a fight. Can I say that again? Level 10 church will never grow without a fight. And that doesn't just apply to level 10, that applies to every single church because we are in a spiritual battle. And using the analogy of a soldier again, the apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we're fighting against four things. Evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. We're fighting against mighty powers of this dark world. And we're fighting against evil spirits in heavenly places. Four different areas of fight that we're involved in. Being church is not about having a comfortable, cozy life. It's about signing up for a battle. Now, you will know that that is the case very often in our personal lives but it's the case as being church together. We are called to wage spiritual warfare. And this is why prayer and the Holy Spirit are vitally important. Why is it that for most churches, only 10% of the people show up at the prayer meeting? I've known this for most of my life and I can't understand it. For some people, it's only when there's some serious emergency that occurs that they decide, I better pray. Jesus, help. Prayer needs to be the backbone of the church. And a church that's vibrant and effective will have prayer as its foundation, its backbone, running right through it in every sense. You see, 
we're in a spiritual battle. And Paul said, pray in the spirit at all times and on all occasions. We need as a church to be praying. And we're never as strong as the, when we're on our knees. And that's where we need to be to constantly be seeking God. So that was what they were to, they were to go into battle, but they were also to go and keep their promises. Because in verse 22 of Numbers 32, it says, you would have fulfilled your duty if you go with your brothers and sisters to possess the land. You know, God always honors faithfulness. We must be faithful in our service, faithful in our gifts, faithful in giving, faithful in tithing. Ouch. It's that tithing word. It's not very nice, is it? We don't like it. Let me tell you something honestly at this moment. This church could not afford a full-time pastor because we don't have the tithes to cover a reasonable salary. That's the honest fact. Now, you might think, well, when we get all the rents coming back in, when we get all the people starting to hire the church, then our income will go up. I don't believe that a church should rely on hiring out its space to cover the cost of supporting a full-time minister. That is not the biblical principle. If we do bring money in from hiring out our space and our venues, then that should be used for mission. That should be used for outreach and other means. But the pastor should be supported by the tithes of the people. So here's another ouch question. Do you give 10% of your income to the church? That's just a start. Real giving is over and above that. And do you give 10% of your income before the tax man gets his hand on it? Tithing on the gross, not on the net. These are ouch questions, aren't they? But it's about being real. It's about facing up to what our responsibilities are and keeping the promises and the expectations that God's word places upon us of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be faithful in fellowshipping one with another, faithful in prayer. I've already touched on those things. You see, unity is about being committed to one another. 50 years ago, I stood in a church and my face was beaming as my bride walked down the aisle. And then we made promises for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. You see, marriage is not based on the fact that you, fall, you feel in love with your partner every single day of the year. Marriage is based upon a promise. And as you fulfill your promise, Love flows, love grows, love blossoms, and you are a blessing to one another. It is the promise that is at the heart of the marriage relationship. These two and a half tribes had to keep their promise to possess the land with their brothers and sisters. And unity is about fulfilling our promise to the Lord Jesus Christ and to one another in building his kingdom and in being church together. Being a member of level 10 is not about being a pew filler. It's about being committed as a participator of the church of Jesus Christ. So 
these two and a half tribes said, we will go, we will do. But then thirdly, they said, we will obey. What were they to obey? Well, we will obey you, Joshua, just as we obeyed Moses. Sometime later, when Saul was king, and Saul seriously disappointed God, and God had to take the kingdom away from him. But it was all around an issue of his pride. And God said to Saul through Samuel the prophet, obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, we can be exuberant worshippers. We can be enthusiastic praisers. But if we're living lives of disobedience to the word of God, then our praise and worship will be meaningless. And as Moses said to the two and a half tribes, be sure your sin will find you out. I bet you all know that scripture, be sure your sins will find you out. But I wonder if you knew where the context was. It was Moses speaking to these two and a half tribes. If you don't obey then your sin will catch up with you. Why is obedience so important? Two things as we just come to an end this morning. First of all, obedience brings blessing. The blessings of the promised land were there for the taking as long as they obeyed God. We want our church to live under that kind of favour, that kind of goodness, that kind of blessing from God. And it will happen as a company of people live in obedience to the word of God. That's in our personal private lives. That's in our relationship one with another. Obedience covers every aspect of your life and mine. And as we live our lives in obedience to the word and the ways of God, so we will know the blessing of God. But then secondly, Obedience is necessary for unity. Time and again, under the leadership of Moses, the people of Israel disobeyed and it led to all manner of problems. So much so that a generation that came out of Egypt never, ever entered the promised land. Unity comes when we all agree together to serve God and to fulfill what his word requires of us. Unity really comes when we obey the rules, if I can bring it to that. Imagine Southampton are playing this evening in the FA Cup semi-final against Leicester. And I'm praying, no, not really, but I'd like Southampton to win. But imagine at Wembley this afternoon or this evening, there were no rules. They could just do what they wanted. So if uh, James Vardy got the ball for, Esther, for, for, for Leicester and one of the Southampton players went and punched him on the nose and took the ball away, wouldn't it be brilliant? You know, just no rules. Let's, it would be crazy, wouldn't it? Imagine driving your car without the highway code. Everybody just did what they wanted. They could go whichever way they wanted round a roundabout. Wouldn't it be crazy? We know that rules are there in order that we can live in unity and in harmony one with another. So it is for the church. Obedience is necessary for unity. Let's just pause for a moment and pray, and then we're going to go into breakout rooms together. Father, you know 
what this lockdown season has meant to each and every one of us, you know, the difficulties and the challenges and the frustrations that we've faced. And in some ways, Lord, the people of Israel were in a kind of a lockdown situation in the wilderness until they were able to go and possess the promised land. We want to be a people, Lord, who live under the blessing of your promise. And we want to be those people, Lord, who will be an encouragement to each other, who will do what your word asks us to do. We want to be those people, Lord, who go together into the spiritual battle that is before us to see your kingdom increase and to see your name lifted up and people to find Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We want to be people who live lives of obedience to your word and bring the blessing of God upon us. So, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We're weak. We have our faults and failings, but we thank you that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by your spirit. And we look forward to an exciting, vibrant future for Level 10 Church in the days that are ahead. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.